Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 674 for the 3rd of January, 2020. This week, the blog and podcast date has been advanced from Sunday to Friday. The email alert now goes out on Friday morning instead of Saturday morning. This week's primary topic looks at two useful utilities and a location where you can find lots of equally useful applications. In short circuits, if you want to accelerate an older computer, you have several options. Some of them aren't worth what they'll cost, though. FutureMe is an unusual website that allows users to send messages to themselves in the future. Why? I'll see if I can explain that. And in spare parts only on the website, a scammer who sent fake sextortion messages has been arrested. That's not going to have much effect on the scourge, though. Would you be able to tell the difference between the real login page for Amazon's app and a phony one that tries to steal your credentials? I couldn't, and this illustrates why it is important not to click enticing links in email messages. 20 years ago, a website aimed at being a clearinghouse for product recalls seemed like a good idea. It wasn't. Windows has a lot of settings and controls. If you want to adjust something, there's probably a setting somewhere that'll do what you want. The problem often is finding the control that's used to adjust the setting. The Windows setting component contains an enormous number of panels, some of which have sub-panels and some of those have sub-sub-panels with lists of settings hidden within drop-down lists. And not all changes are made in settings. You might need to use the old-style control panel, or you might need to modify a setting in the registry, or maybe run a PowerShell command, or even use the group policy editor. So sometimes just figuring out where to look is a daunting task. Fortunately, there are some utilities that make the process easier by attempting to gather most of the potential settings into a single location. Around mid-December, older geeks described a couple of such applications on two consecutive days. Utilities are a lot like power tools. Used carefully, they can make a difficult and tedious job easy. However, they can also take off a finger or two if the user is distracted or not careful. So it's important to read the instructions and proceed with caution. If you encounter a warning or comment that you don't understand, find out what it means before proceeding. The first of these two utilities is called the Ultimate Settings Panel. It has a lot of tabs, and every tab has buttons for various settings. You'll find tabs for Windows 7, 8, and 10. Most, if not all, of the Windows 7 buttons will also work for Windows 8 and 10. Scrolling across the tabs, you'll see that Windows 8 has more buttons than Windows 7, and Windows 10 has more buttons than Windows 8. A Windows Advanced tab includes options for disk partitioning and links to the event viewer, system restore, and group policies. The control panel tab has nearly 40 buttons. Another tab controls Outlook settings. You'll find tabs for all the installed browsers, shutdown options, server administration, and more. 
As part of my test drive, I selected the Windows 10 tab and clicked the DirectX Diagnostics button. This opened the Windows DirectX Diagnostic Tool, which has nine tabs of its own, and displays the status of various DirectX settings. What is DirectX? Well, it's a collection of Application Programming Interfaces, or APIs, for multimedia. At the beginning, Microsoft named each of the APIs individually. There was Direct3D, DirectDraw, DirectMusic, DirectPlay, DirectSound, and so on and so on. Eventually, all of those were collected into DirectX, and this diagnostic tool is the one that displays information about how well the various components are working. Next, I took a look at the Control Panel tab and selected the button for Detailed License Information, which displays information about the operating system license, including the installation ID. Outlook, in particular, can be a challenge when users want to change a setting. Outlook's menu structure might have made sense to the development team, but it is not uncommon for me to get lost when looking for something in there. The Outlook tab has more than 30 buttons to help with the most common actions. If the computer the Ultimate Settings panel is installed on is a server, the Server Administration panel will be helpful, but note that the panel is present regardless. Ah, and many of the settings actually can be used on machines that are not servers. Tabs for each browser offer settings that might not be immediately obvious from the browser's menu. For example, how to run Chrome in kiosk mode or incognito mode. The only tab that seems to be useless is called Tricks, it has three buttons. Each of them wants to launch a Telnet session. Because I use Zoc as a Telnet client, I haven't installed the native Windows Telnet client. So as a result, the three buttons on the Tricks tab all just return error messages. No big deal. Bottom line here for the Ultimate Settings panel, for cats, it puts a lot of power in one location. Not every possible Windows, Outlook, and browser setting can be found here, but you will find an impressive array of settings arranged in a way that makes them easy to find. You'll find additional details on the Techie Geeks website, or you can download it directly from Older Geeks. You'll find links to both of those on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. And speaking of older geeks, maybe you've heard about OlderGeeks.com already. Randy and Dina McElveen run what they describe as a tiny computer store in the Missouri Ozarks. They say they spend a fair amount of time removing malware from computers after the owner downloaded a free game or free software. And they'll have done that from one of the sites that plasters the free download page with a huge download button that leads to applications the users don't want while making the real download link tiny and very hard to find. Older Geeks provides a gigantic library of downloadable freeware and does so without playing any games with you. The large download link is at the bottom of the page, so at least you'll need to see the information about how you can donate to the operation. The site has no ads, and it won't include applications that install unwanted add-ons. Recently, in fact, the site removed the free versions of two well-known antivirus applications that had started downloading information about the computer users surreptitiously. Rick Rouse joins Randy on the Older Geeks Facebook page, and both post frequent tips. It's a good page to follow. You'll find a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Older Geeks also provides online help with computer problems and offers an uncommon payment method. Those who receive help pay what they feel the help is worth. So if you're looking for downloads such as Tweak Power or the Ultimate Settings panel, 
Older Geeks is a good place to start. And if you find the site useful, there's also a donate option. Older Geeks gets five cats. They offer advice and lots of free downloads, providing assistance at whatever price you feel is right, and lots of useful downloads with no ads, no tricks, no malware. You'll find additional details on the Older Geeks website and, of course, a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And then we move on to the second utility that they highlighted in mid-December, Tweak Power. Although I'm not a big fan of registry cleaners, the one that's part of Tweak Power seems to work well. And that's only one small part of what this free application does. Tweak Power works with systems as old as Windows XP and as new as Windows 10, and of course everything in between. No installation is required. Just extract the files from the zip file and run tweakpower.exe. Be sure to unzip the file to its own directory, though, not to the desktop or the downloads directory. In other words, create a directory somewhere. Copy or move the zip file to that directory and extract the files there. Many Windows applications come with a variety of plugins. If you think that they're making your system slower and you want to delete them, just go to the Plugin Cleaner under All Functions, hit the Analyze button, and then let it scan your system. You can select what to delete and what to keep. By default, the Cleaning tab opens when Tweak Power starts. You can turn that off if you prefer not to see it first. I click the Next button after selecting Default Cleanup, which promised to give me complete control over the process. Before using any Tweak Power function, keep the Power Tools analogy in mind. Better safe than sorry. So click Create a Restore Point. It's up at the top of the screen. The Cleaning tab allowed me to specify what the cleaning operation would consider. I omitted cookie cleanup from all browsers because cookies are generally more helpful than harmful. I then reviewed and sometimes modified the settings for the system cleaner, plug-in cleaner, and registry cleaner. TweakPower told me that it had identified 10,362 problems. Uh, wait a minute. The vast majority of those were issues with browsers. Each item in history, which I told the application to clean, was an individual problem. I would prefer that thousands of history items be considered just one problem. But maybe the developer likes those big numbers. By default, the registry cleaner is conservative, and it elects to leave any possible problem entries that it's unsure of. Some applications include plugins and add-ons that you may not want or need. The plugin cleaner can search for these and then allow you to remove them. To be safe, click the Analyze button first and then review the recommendations. If you click the Cleanup button without first having Tweak Power analyze the system, it might remove something that you'd prefer to keep. Each of the cleaner panels gives the user a large number of choices. The System Cleaner tab, for example, offered to remove any check disk fragments, empty the clipboard, remove desktop shortcuts, empty the recycle bin, remove log files, and delete temporary files. I chose not to empty the clipboard or do anything with the desktop or start menu shortcuts. Some of TweakPower's capabilities overlap with those of the Ultimate Settings panel. Instead of opening Windows Settings or the Control Panel, this application translates the pertinent information and presents it in a unified format. That's rather clever. TweakPower also offers some useful additional features, such as the ability to password protect documents using file encryption. As with any encryption operation, it's essential that you remember the password created for the process because the information will be irretrievable if you forget it.
The bottom line here for Tweak Power, five cats. It helps eliminate junk from your computer and offers a lot more, too. In addition to cleaning up junk files and outdated entries in the registry, Tweak Power offers organized access to many of the most powerful Windows settings, and it can encrypt files, permanently delete files you want to eliminate, defragment mechanical disk drives, control the programs that start with Windows, and more. You'll find additional details on the Tweak Power website, or you can download it from older geeks. Again, links to both of those sites and everything else I've mentioned is on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, www.techbiter.com. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, if Santa neglected to swing by with a new computer and you desperately wish that your old computer was faster, there are several things you can do to make the old beast run faster. Choose carefully, though, because some of the options I'll list here might not be much of an improvement. It depends on what needs to be accelerated and on whether you have a desktop system, a notebook, or a tablet. Speeding a tablet computer is difficult at best and probably impossible unless you have specialized tools needed to open the case and to deal with what you find inside. So if you need to accelerate a tablet, my recommendation is this. Buy a new one and see if you can sell the old one on eBay. That leaves notebook computers and desktop computers. Desktop systems are often easier to work on because the parts are larger and much more standard. And the case is roomy compared to a notebook. Two enhancements can be performed on most notebook and desktop systems, adding a solid-state boot drive and increasing the system's memory. Let's start with the solid-state boot drive. That's an easy process for a desktop system. Companies that sell solid-state disk drives usually can provide cables and cloning software that copies the operating system, the programs, and any data on the boot drive to a new drive. After installing the new drive in the desktop, you can keep the old drive for data. The process is only a little more complicated for notebook computers. You'll need tools for the small screws, and you won't be able to keep the old drive in the case unless the notebook computer is one of the few that actually has more than one drive bay. Very few do. You can buy a disk enclosure, though, for the old drive and connect it to the notebook using USB. Second, adding memory. Until SSDs came along at reasonable prices, adding RAM was the preferred method for speeding an old computer. It's still an excellent option, and companies such as Crucial, there's a link to Crucial on the TechBiter Worldwide website, have utility applications that can examine the computer, show how much memory is installed, and describe what can be added and how. Crucial also sells SSDs. As with replacing the boot drive, the process is easier on the desktop system, but most notebook computers provide reasonably easy access to the sockets where RAM is installed. So I promised four options. Here are the other two. These may significantly increase the computer's speed, 
but they depend more on how you use the computer. If you use USB devices a lot, you can upgrade from USB 2 to USB 3. Upgrading the USB ports in a desktop system will require adding a new card to the computer. USB 3 is approximately 10 times faster than USB 2, and as good as that is, it might not make much of a difference, and you might be out of luck entirely with a notebook computer. If the notebook has a docking station port, adding USB 3 might be an option. Once you've upgraded, though, older USB 2 and USB 1.1 devices won't be any faster. You'll need to upgrade those external devices, too. And one more that's kind of a long shot, upgrading the router might help. Unless you have an antique router, though, an upgrade won't have much of an effect on wired connections. Computers that connect via Wi-Fi might see some significant improvements, though, especially if you can switch from using 2.4 gigahertz frequencies to 5 gigahertz frequencies, which are both faster and less likely to suffer from interference. Other components could be replaced, particularly in desktop systems, but swapping out most of the other components won't provide much of a speed improvement. If the computer is still too slow, even though it already has USB 3 ports, a solid-state boot drive, and plenty of memory, well, then it's probably time to just buy a new computer. If you do that, installing Linux on the old computer might give it several more years of useful life. That's something we'll take a look at next week. Have you ever written a note to yourself, put it in an envelope, and then left it where you'd remember to open it in a year, or two, or ten? I have not ever done that, but it seems like a worthwhile exercise. Maybe writing a letter to next year's you would help as you struggle with a diet or exercise plan. Well, as it turns out, there's a website for this. Future Me was established in 2003. You can go there, type a message to yourself, and schedule it to be sent back to you in 30 days, in 50 years, or any time in between those two limits. The 30-day minimum was established because FutureMe isn't intended to be used as a reminder service. The letters to yourself can be private, or you can share them publicly, but without any personal identification information. Matt Sly and Jay Patricios had the idea for the site while in college. While a student at the Yale School of Management, Sly wrote the software. Patricios was responsible for the site's name and the overall design. The messages aren't all about weight loss and exercise, though. Soldiers headed to Iraq wrote to their future selves. Some people who were dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's have written to their future selves. The site is free to use, but users are asked to donate $3 a year. That's optional. Otherwise, the site will display ads. The developers recommend creating an account with an email address that's likely to be permanent. Gmail, for example, instead of an office email account or something that might not be around later. You will need to confirm that the email account is yours and that you have access to it by responding to an email. One message written 11 years ago and recently delivered said just this, Dear Future Me, hope all is well. Hopefully you are not dead or in prison. Void. Some people do use the service as kind of a diary, so maybe it's something you'd like to try out. It's free, and if you like it, $3 a year seems a reasonable price to pay to eliminate the ads. 
If you'd like to learn more, visit futureme.org. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. There's no need to remind yourself in the future about spare parts. That feature is right here, right now, and you'll find it on the website. This week, a scammer who sent fake sextortion messages has been arrested, but that's not going to have much effect on the scourge. Would you be able to tell the difference between the real login page for Amazon's app and a phony that tries to steal your credentials? I couldn't. And that illustrates why it is important not to click enticing links in email messages. And 20 years ago, a website aimed at being a clearinghouse for product recalls seemed like a good idea. It wasn't. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.